This is Weir for the US. And Weir does well! Very well! Christian Pulisic on the pitch for a matter of moments with that innate and perfect sense of timing. McKenney. And again, McKenney! Dos Acero! As far as um, against Mexico, you could you could argue it was it was one of our best games. I thought there were you know stretches in the game, like I said before, where um, I felt like we were really dominant. and We had control of the game. I think it's a new era now. Uh, before the game, Mexico was talking a lot of smack, and you know you know beating them just shuts them up. And we have to continue to win games and continue to beat them. And that's the only way we're gonna you know earn their respect and earn the world's respect. This is the SBI Show. Hello, everybody. I'm Ivis Kolarsep, and it is Saturday, the day after another Dos Acero. U.S. men's national team defeats Mexico, and they didn't just defeat Mexico. They dominated Mexico. Now, they didn't dominate them in, like, the way you beat a team 5 or 6-0. But they dominated them in the way that they just outplayed them. They just outworked them, and in the second half, they just controlled the game, took over the game. And as many times as the U.S. has beaten Mexico before, we haven't seen that, that type of victory. And that's what made it different, more impressive, and more important. Because this U.S. team is different. No disrespect to past editions of the U.S. team, none at all. So many important victories in the past. But this team has so much talent. Such such a collective engine, speed, fearlessness, and levels of experience at ages that it just that just never happened. It didn't happen in, in 10, 20 years ago. Guys in their teens playing in Serie A. Guys in their early 20s racking up the Champions League games. And all that adds up. Because talent is one thing, but then developing that talent at the highest levels collectively gives you a player pool that can produce the kind of performance we saw Friday. And I know some people were probably a little bit surprised. Some people thought, oh, and there's, you know, they're not going to do that to Mexico. They might not even beat Mexico. Well, I'll tell you what, folks. Some people saw it coming. I saw it coming. And I'm not the only one. I'm sure some other people saw it coming. Greg Berhalter maybe saw it coming. But the talent is there. And it's really about putting the pieces together, putting the right game plan together, and then in-game handling of the squad. And let's give Greg, Greg Berhalter a little credit because this whole idea, you know, any idea that this is just about the talent, this is just about the players, that he's just along for the ride is just kind of just kind of silly to me. But we'll get, we'll get to that later. The, the players, let's get to the players first. And the performance. And I know, it. look, it took 70 plus minutes for that first goal. 73 minutes, 74 minutes to be exact for that first goal to come. But for a good, I don't know, 40 minutes, it felt like the U.S. That, that first goal would be the U.S.'s. Mexico just, and look, Mexico created some chances, no question. They forced some really good saves from Zach Steffen. But they had this long period in the match from, I want to say, after like the 30th minute all the way into the rest of the second half where they just, it wasn't there. 
the threat was not there. And look, they had some chances for sure. I mean, Irving Lozano forced that really good save. It, you know, Zach Steffen ended up with four saves, and he had, and a few of them were very good. But something happened with Mexico. They just kind of, you know, what it wasn't there. Second half, they it's like it's almost like the, the obviously the pressure. You give us the U.S. team a lot of credit because they they pressed them, they made them uncomfortable, they gave them very little room to operate. And even with all that, the, the Mexicans still found some chances and created some chances. And that that's a testament to their quality. The the Edson Alvarez pass that sprung Herving Lozano, who made that beautiful inside run, got on the inside of Yedlin, and I don't you know. I don't care who you are. You give her, you give Erring Lozano that channel, and you give him that kind of perfect pass. He's going to get a chance, a very good chance. And Zach Steffen made the save. But this U.S. team just really squeezed the life out of Mexico. I felt in the second half. And uh, you know, anyone who reads SBI or even listens to the SBI show, listen to the last episode. I told you, this U.S. team is built different. Greg Berhalter has put together a group. The talent's there, yes, but he had to make some decisions as well in terms of the lineup, in terms of positions that he could have gone one way or the other, in terms of how he built the roster, leaving some some players off surprisingly. John Brooks. And all the pieces have come together to deliver this I don't even know how I, can, how I don't think I can overstate how important this result is. Not just the three points, not just moving the U.S. into first place in the octagonal. By the way, on goal difference, actually on goal scored, I think now because they're tied on points, and uh, and I think they're even on goal difference. But total goals, I think they have the edge. But they do have the edge. They're in first place right now. And just the building confidence that comes with beating Mexico for a third straight time in a match that matters. And this isn't the first time that's happened, by the way. The U.S. did that also, I believe, uh, 2005 to 2009 uh, between qualifying. There was 05 qualifier they won at home. The 07 Gold Cup final they won. And then the 09 goal, uh, the 09 qualifier in the beginning of 09, Michael Bradley's two goal game in the monsoon in Columbus. I remember that one. I thought the uh, I thought the auxiliary press box we were sitting in was going to get blown away. That's the last time the U.S. beat Mexico in three competitive matches in a row, and that was over the span of four years, really three, but but let's say more than three years. So it didn't, it, you know, that's number one. Number two, there was one trophy involved, the Gold Cup Final, 07. We all remember Benny Felhaber with the beauty, the golazo. But the fact that those came over the course of three years, it was a little, it wasn't quite as as uh, emphatic a dominance. And that, and that came at a time when the U.S. had taken control of the series, to be clear. Going from the dos, the original Dos Acero in 01, the the one in Columbus, the first World Cup qualifying victory, the 2002 World Cup round of 16 match in South Korea. I was there for that one. I still remember that to this day. And then that led into the, the era where the U.S. did get the results, right? They did get plenty of good results against Mexico. Not in Azteca, mind you, but in all these other opportunities that they had. When the first teams met, the U.S., They won their fair share. But very few of those were dominant performances. They were, they got, they, they, most of them evenly matched performances, but the U.S. came out ahead. The U.S. made the plays. 
there wasn't this. I can't think of many of those matches where there was this sense that wow, like the U.S. is just clearly better. It's like Mexico is 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 trailing in terms of just not like not being able to keep up with the U.S. Even for a lot of those two those Azeros, a lot of those victories, it was pretty even. Mexico had chances. As much as a lot of them ended up dos a cero, the scoreline was probably tighter than, than than that, or the game was probably tighter than the scoreline reflected. The one match that comes to mind for me that was a very impressive U.S. performance that they really controlled the match from the beginning, and they were the better team, the 2002 World Cup game. They outplayed Mexico. They were all over them from the start. Javier, I still remember Mexico manager Javier Aguirre having to make a first half substitution, which which you know at that point you're just getting beat. Tactically, uh, all of you, you name it, they were they were getting beaten. The U.S. was beating them all over the field. I still remember Claudio Arena having the game of his life. Bruce Arena pulling all the right strings. That was for me, honestly. For and I before Friday, I had been to 24 of the past 25 Mexico matches, and I can tell you. I wasn't there in Cincinnati, as you may know. I was in New York City at CBS Studios uh, working on the coverage, the World Cup qualifying coverage for CBS Sports. But obviously I watched the game. And in those, in this 20-plus years that I've watched U.S.-Mexico, the last time that I can remember that comes to mind to me where the U.S. just was clearly better was the O2 World Cup game. And even that game was pretty tight in ways. After the U.S. dominated in the beginning, Mexico kind of tried to get back into the game. But you came away from that game feeling, look, the U.S. won that game hands down. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And that's what it felt like on Friday. They just outplayed Mexico. They were the better team. And, I, and I'll say this. The fact that Tata Martino basically acknowledged that in the in the post-game interview tells you a lot. Because Tata's, Tata Martino is not the type of coach who likes to give credit to opponents. A lot of times he'll spend his time lamenting what his team didn't do. And it's usually about what his team could have done, but didn't do. It's very rarely about the opponent. And a lot of times, even when they lose, it's like, well, we were the better team, but we lost or that kind of thing. Right. That's just Tata's way. It's been, it's been like that since MLS. When he was in Atlanta, I could definitely remember many about many a time when, you know what they lost, but no, it's not going to be just, they were the better team. You didn't, you wouldn't hear that really from Tata very often. If ever he gave the U S credit on Friday, and let's face it, he had to. What was he supposed to do? That'd be some serious denial if you come away from that game trying to still say you're the better team or, you know, there was luck involved or it was a coin flip. No. U.S. was the better team, period. And uh, just in terms of talking about performances, you name it, let, let's go from back to front, right? And first things first, Greg, Greg Berhalter, every, every coin flip or every toss-up lineup decision that he had to make, he won. He chose correctly. He chose heads. It came up heads. You name it. Tim Weah started over Paul Ariola. And yes, look, I get it. Most fans, 90% of fans probably would have chosen Tim Weah. But Berhalter chose Tim Weah. And Weah was, for me, the man of the match. Definitely one of the top two or three players. But for me, man of the match. Just because he set the tone early in the attack. He was like the leading force in the attack in the first half when they were putting all the pressure on them. And then he helped set up the winning goal, the first goal. Christian Pulisic's header, beautiful work by Tim Way on that. And you know what? He took full advantage, just like he did in Costa Rica. Paul Ariola gets hurt in pregame warm-ups. Tim Way comes on, takes full advantage of it. 
And it's great to see him do that because you know what he's been through. You know the injury issues. You know the time that he had to sit on the sidelines recovering, uh, watching his in the national team career stagnate. And here he is doing his thing. Zach Steffen versus Matt Turner. And I, I'll be the first to say I thought Matt Turner should start, but Zach Steffen, great game. You can't knock it. He did what he had to do. His distribution was excellent. He made the big saves. He was aggressive. He did it. He did what he had to do, played a very good game. And sure, you can say, well, you know, maybe Matt Turner could have done that. Fine, he could have. I, I, you know, I'm a big Matt Turner fan, but you know what? Give the credit. What are the credits do? Berhalter turned to Zach Steffen. He gave him the opportunity, and Zach Steffen stepped up. Center back, Walker Zimmerman over Chris Richards. And I know there's a segment the fans is like, wait, Chris Richards plays in the Bundesliga. He has to start because, because, because his FIFA card is higher, maybe, right? I don't know. What, look, and I, for the record, when I did my preferred lineup, I put Chris Richards in there. But as I said on the last episode of the SBI show, Walker Zimmerman has played well in qualifying. He's taken advantage of the opportunities. He's a veteran. He's tough. He, he, he loves to defend, and you need that. You need that aggressiveness. And he was excellent. He was the best defender on the field for the U.S. And, now, and, and you know, not to take anything away from Anthony Robinson or DeAndre Yellen, but Walker Zimmerman was the best defender for the U.S. Rewarded Berhalter's faith. And then Yedlin as well, another player who I know some fans wanted Joe Scally in there. No caps, Joe Scally. Joe Scally is a beautiful story. 18-year-old breaking into the Bundesliga started 12 matches in a row in all competitions and has been great for Borussia Mönchengladbach in the Bundesliga. But he has never played a single minute on the senior national team level. And you're telling me you want to put him an 18 year old who's never played a minute of international soccer on the field matched up against Irving Lozano, Mexico's most dangerous player. This is what you're telling me. That's nuts. And look, does that mean he automatically would have got torched by Lozano? No. Maybe he stands up. Maybe he, he handles the job. But the fact is you had a veteran available, a player in good form, playing at a good level. He's playing starting for Galatasaray. Galatasaray is not chopped liver, folks, to be clear. Just because you don't watch it every week on your, you know, among your preferred leagues that you watch does not mean he's not playing at a high level. Starting consistently, having won a job, having held on to a job that at a club where he was supposedly going to get tossed aside in the summer. He battled through that, earned the job, and has been playing well. Berhalter saw that. He knows the experience. And let's give some credit here. Berhalter was not a Yellen fan when he started. I'm sure it, part of that was, look, he's not the most technical player. He's not the most technical player. The speed is there. The toughness is there. His defending is so much better than it used to be. The time at Newcastle, the time in England, the time before that at Sunderland helped him develop the defensive side of his game. And he is a good defender now. He's played Mexico multiple times. He's faced Irving Lozano in big matches. So guess what? Berhalter gives him the chance. He takes advantage. And did he get beat here and there? Of course Let's be clear, folks, just because someone gets beaten by an outstanding player does not mean the other player 
who could have played in his place would have not gotten beaten. This is what drives me nuts sometimes. It's like, aha, see, look, the other guy, Joe Scally, would have pitched a you know, perfect game. He would have never given up anything. And then that's just like the fantasy world that some folks live in to hold on to their pre-held beliefs is a bit mind-boggling sometimes. Because look, everyone's entitled to opinions, right? You don't have to rate Berhalter as a coach. You don't have to think he's a great coach. You can disagree with decisions. But at a certain point, if he gets the job done, if his decisions lead to positive results and big wins against the biggest rival, at what point do you finally let it go and start to say, maybe I'm wrong? Maybe Burhalter's better than I thought. Maybe he knows what he's doing. No one's saying he's, you know, Diego Simeone, Marcelo Bielsa, Jurgen Klopp, Pep Guardiola. No one is saying that. But let's evaluate the guy on what he's done. And what has he done? He's beaten Mexico three times in a year in big matches. World Cup qualifier, Gold Cup final, Nations League final. He has swept Mexico. And the coach, mind you, who some fans were irate about Berhalter being hired instead of. I still remember that. Everyone's like, oh, bah, you could have had Tata. I didn't even talk to Tata. And then Tata, he, you know, he fanned the flames. He was mad that they didn't even talk to him. I get it. But guess what? Berhalter's beating him three times now. What else do you want him to do? And I feel like some people are starting to kind of give Greg Berhalter his flowers. I get it. It's just natural. Not everyone's going to be just so set in their ways and, and, and try to spin this as the team winning in spite of Berhalter. Like, that's like, let, let's stop. Just stop, people. Just stop. This isn't, no one's saying this is a case of, of him, you know, turning, you know, making chicken salad out of, out of you know what. Like, he had the talents there. Yes. This is a special generation. We've been saying it for years. I've been saying it longer than Greg, than I, Greg Berhalter has even believed it. But he's the one pulling the strings. He's the one putting it together, putting the pieces together, getting the players to believe in this system. And the results are starting to speak for themselves. First place in the group halfway through qualifying. And we've gone on off and got off on a tangent here, but Deion, back to the point. DeAndre Yedlin was given the opportunity, and he held his own. He did the job. Irving Lozano had that one great chance. He had a couple of flashes here and there, but at the end of the day, Irving Lozano didn't have the game he, they needed him to have. Give Yellen his credit for that. So there you go. Every single of those toss-up lineup decisions worked in the U.S.'s favor. And for me, in that at that point, you got to give Berhalter some credit. Even the Pulisic management, because you know what? He could have decided to try to start Pulisic. He could have just said, you know what? Thomas Tuchel, screw you. I'm going to start this guy. But no. He handled it perfectly. Left him on the bench, brought him on in the perfect time. He comes on three, four minutes later, he scores a goal. Just like you look just like you drew it up, right? And you gotta love Polisic, man. I mean, this guy. You know, he obviously with all the injuries and stuff, they, it's easy for people to crap on him, but he he's impressed me. And I wasn't always sold. I, look, the talent's always been there. I've never disputed the talent, but sometimes you you know, when you was younger, you kind of wonder. What's he going to grow into? What kind of player is he going to grow into? The talent's there, but will will he ha, will he mature to that point where he thrives in the big moments? And he has. 
And he did. Friday. Comes off the bench. Scores that goal. Hasn't even played much in the last three months. But big game, big stage, scores the winner. You know, the first goal in the dos a cero. So you name it, it went well. And you, know, you could, we could run down the list. I could do like a two-hour show just giving everyone credit for what they did. But Tyler Adams was outstanding. Weston McKinney was outstanding. Walker Zimmerman, outstanding. Anthony Robinson, I thought, I don't think enough people gave him credit. Or I, don't, I didn't see or hear him get as much credit as I think he deserved. Because I thought he played with some real confidence. His passing, and and it's interesting because I look at the passing stats and his passing completion percentage wasn't necessarily like the most impressive. I think it was like 70%, but he tried passes that you didn't see him normally try. And a lot of them were coming off. A lot of them were were hitting the mark to unlock the, the Mexican pressure. He's getting comfortable. He obviously is in good form with Fulham. He came in on good form, so you knew it's not a surprise that he would play well. But I don't think he, I think he's, he deserves more credit than he's getting. Did anyone see Tecatito Corona? Where was Tecatito? Right? So give Robinson some credit there. Um, I'm naming the whole lineup. I get it, right? And, you know, I'm not going to, and no, not, not every player had, like, was outstanding. Some players were below their levels, but everyone contributed. Ricardo Pepe contributed. He didn't score a goal. He didn't have any assists, but he ran his tail off. He pressured like he loves to pressure. Some of his touches let him down, yes, but he his movement, his relentless movement, his nonstop movement and pressure played like did its thing. It play, it was a part of the of the formula, of the recipe. Brendan Aronson, same thing. Normally stat filling, normally goals, assists, racking him up. Didn't come this week, didn't come on Friday. But he always gives you that work. He always gives you the pressing. He he never stops putting pressure on opponents. He's the he's like the Energizer Bunny, Brendan Aronson. And that's why the move, honestly, the the move to Salzburg. You want to talk about a perfect fit because they've taken his strengths, and then now now it's just they're just adding to them, and the U.S. is benefiting from that. But again, two players who didn't have their kind of big games that we've seen them have. But still, even what they contributed helped. Yunus Musa, excellent game for me. Quiet in a way, maybe because the Costa Rica game was just such an amazing performance. But Musa did so much work, so much dirty work, so much uh, you know pressure he put on. He it's it's easy. I'll say this: it's easy to overlook what he gives you when he's not, you know, marauding through the midfield with possession, not drip powering through on the dribble, not holding off defenders, but he does so much dirty work. He, so he, he, with the pressing, the movement, um, identifying places to, you know, shut things down and, and making himself self available for teammates. He, he does so much. I mean, to be as young as he is, he is an intelligent player. And he didn't have his best game, but he still put stuff in the soup that produced a you know a beautiful dish. I mean, at the end of the day, if you look at it, I, I don't, I can't, none, I can't look at it. I can't think of a single starter that I look at and say, man, he was absolutely terrible or he was bad. They had to carry him. Even Miles Robinson, the you could probably say he's the leading candidate to wear that. But even that isn't fair. Because he did 
dirty. He did hard. He put in the hard work too. He didn't have to have as many touches as he normally has. He wasn't as involved. He didn't, you know, they, they, I feel like teams now know like, you know what? He's not easy to beat one-on-one. So he, he didn't have as many opportunities to just showcase what he can do. And then obviously he gets the two yellow cards. For me, the second yellow looked like a dive personally. I know some Mexican fans would be like, oh, you're crazy. Absolute foul. Definite second yellow. I disagree, but it wasn't it wasn't his best game by a long shot. Miles Robinson. But you don't toss him aside. Sometimes players have these games. But the thing is the collective. The thing is, if everybody works, if Tyler Adams is all over the field, if Weston McKinney's all over the field, if Anthony Robinson's all over the field, if DeAndre Ellen's all over the field, if Walker Zimmerman's all over the field, guess what? Even if one player maybe doesn't have the same kind of game that he normally has, it doesn't matter because the collective is working against the opponent and succeeding because the collective is is just producing so much. And that's what you saw on Friday in Cincinnati. And I wrote about it leading up to the game. I, I wrote a feature headline fast and furious about this team having the pieces to smother Mexico and to beat Mexico. And he did it and give all of these players credit and give Greg Berhalter some credit. This wasn't luck. This wasn't a fluke. This wasn't a, you know, a, deflected shot this wasn't a questionable referee's decision this was a team of 11 players thoroughly outplaying the other team of 11 players plus substitutes and it's time for some folks to give credit where credit is due and stop holding on to your pre-established ideas and pre-established opinions at a certain point you can just say you know what yeah maybe i was wrong I feel like some people don't 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 know or don't appreciate how refreshing it is to be able to admit when you're wrong. I I I don't mind doing it. If I if I'm wrong about a player, I'll say it. If I'm wrong about a game, I'll say it. If I'm wrong about a team, I'll say it. Some people don't do it though. They hold they'll hold on. They'll hold on. It just it is what it is. We get it. This is the world we live in. It's not just this. Obviously, isn't just confined to sports. We understand. But what a game. And it looked great. The crowd looked great. I wish I was there. I wish I wish I was at TQL Stadium. They they did a great job. The atmosphere seemed electric. And where do they go from here? They go to Jamaica, face the Reggae Boys in the first match of the second half of the octagonal. And to be clear, job is not done. But the U.S. is in pretty good shape right now, and with the confidence that they're playing in, with the confidence they're playing with. The way the player pool is coming together. And the fact that they've done this. First place in the group. Seven matches in. And they didn't even have Gio Reyna for six of the seven matches. That's crazy if you think about it. Gio Reyna, one of the absolute best players in the U.S. pool. They didn't have Serginio Dest on Friday. John Brooks is, you know, right now trying to figure out how does he get back into this. So there is talent galore here, and it obviously is going to be up to Berhalter to continue to manage that. To figure out, you know, the pieces that go in into what games. Obviously, Miles Robinson and Weston McKinney will miss the Jamaica game on Tuesday. Suspended, both of them. McKinney for two two yellows in the octagonal automatic one-game suspension. Miles Robinson got a second yellow, got the red card late against Mexico. He's out. 
So now Berhalter will have, again, another opportunity to try to pull the right strings and make the right decisions. And convince some of these people who are still holding on, who are still convinced he was the wrong choice, who are still convinced Tata Martino was probably the better choice, even though <laughs> even though Greg Berhalter is 3-0 right now against Tata. I, no, I'm sorry. He's won three in a row. He lost the 2019 Gold Cup final. He lost the friendly in, at, uh, at MetLife in New Jersey here. So Tata has gotten the better of Berhalter, but guess what? Berhalter's won three in a row. Three big ones. So we'll see what he does against Jamaica. But Friday, masterful performance. Excellent job by the coach. Excellent job by the players. And now Mexico's the one wondering what's going on. Wondering, it, you know, it, is this team in trouble? Right? I mean, they're not really in trouble. But they got to go play Canada now. Canada looks pretty damn good. Beating Canada in Canada is not, I repeat, is not going to be easy. But that's what Mexico's going to have to do now on Tuesday. But we'll see. We'll see on Tuesday how things play out and how the second half of the octagonal, how that goes. Now, speaking of the rest of the octagonal, uh, obviously there was some pretty crazy results in, uh, in, in the qualifiers. And you have to start with, of course, the unbelievable comeback uh, in the Honduras-Panama match. And obviously Honduras with the new coach, Hernan Dario Gomez, Bolio Gomez, you know, he comes in. It's already, it's already a tough job. He comes in, he inherits a pretty tough situation. But if he gets that win against Panama, things are a little bit different. Then you're on six points. Uh, actually, if they had won that game, they, they'd be tied with three other teams right now. And, and they'd, they'd actually be only two points out of fourth place if they had won that game. But credit Panama, credit Thomas Christensen, they scored three goals in, what, nine minutes to turn 2-0 into 3-2. In this Panama team, it, look, I, I'll, again, and I said it earlier, I don't mind admitting when I'm wrong. I don't mind saying when I'm wrong. I had Panama dead last in the octagonal. Before the octagonal began and I did my predictions, I had Panama dead last. And I was wrong. Thomas Christensen, bravo, tip my cap, you've done an unbelievable job with that group. A group that doesn't have stars. A group that does not have a Christian Pulisic, a Weston McKinney, or Alfonso Davies. Or even a Joel Campbell. Or even a Mikel Antonio. Or Albert Elise. They've got some you know, good players, but they're winning with the collective. They're getting points with the collective. And Thomas Christensen, you give him credit because he's done it. He's put it together. And they're getting results. And they are now sitting only two points behind Canada. Heading home to face El Salvador. So here we go. Mexico, Canada. On Tuesday. In Edmonton. Alfonso Davies hometown. And if and if Panama wins their game. And there is a loser and a winner in Mexico, Canada. All of a sudden, Panama is either tied on points with Mexico. Or they're ahead of Canada. And I mean that that that's you know, it's pretty interesting. Things are getting you know for Me- things could get very interesting very quickly for Mexico. They could go from sitting on top of the octagonal to finding themselves tied with Panama, trailing Canada and the U.S. 
Who would have saw that coming? But this is how it is. This is how the this is how World Cup qualifying is. It's very rare that a team just runs the table, dominates from start to finish, and racks up the points with without much trouble. There's always going to be twists and turns. But Panama, give them credit. They got that was a huge win. And obviously, look, Honduras is done. They're toast. It's over. I know it's crazy to say we're only halfway through the octagonal. Of course, they could win the last seven, and then they're in. With you know. Think about that. They if Even if they won all seven of the games they have left, they that would give them 24 points, which is just bare, like right around what could be the amount to get teams in. So that's what they got to do it now. They got to run the table. Are they going to run the table? No, they're not. So, you know, you know, Bolillo Gomez is not, he does not have an easy task there. And speaking of Canada, props to Canada. Very professional victory for them. Um, 1-0 over Costa Rica. No Kaylor Navas, Costa Rica, by the way. Jonathan David with the goal. And that's, a look, a big win. Sometimes, you know, you get those tight, ugly games. You, you got to find a way to win, especially at home. So good one for Canada there. That's five in a row. Uh, you know, they haven't actually lost in in the octagonal. They're the only team. The, the, Canada is the only team that has not lost a match yet. Now, I'm sure they're looking back on that first game against Honduras and thinking, how did we drop points at home to Honduras? And that's really what's holding them back right now. That's why, you know what, if, they ha- if not for that, Canada had beaten Honduras as they, you know, maybe do eight times out of ten. Canada's in first place in the octagonal. But they didn't get it done. And now they face Mexico with a very good chance to shake things up. That's going to be a great game. But that's going to be a very, very, very good game. But credit there. And then you had El Salvador, Alex Roldan, with the late, late equalizer to help El Salvador earn a point and keep them in the conversation. I mean, there's still a big gap, to be clear. There's a big gap between the top four and the bottom four. But if El Salvador loses that match, they're, they are officially the second worst team behind, uh, ahead of Honduras. And they would be three points behind Jamaica. So, I mean, I can't stress enough how big that tie, that draw was and how big a goal that was for Alex Roldan. And Jamaica, I, you know, it's interesting. They, they've got the talent. Mikel Antonio obviously scores the goal, his first goal. For Jamaica, the West Ham striker, who's obviously a huge threat and a big addition for them. But they, we need to be clear about this. Jamaica as a whole, not a very good team. Obviously, Mikel Antonio is a first-rate player. Leon Bailey, top-notch player. Andre Blake, excellent goalkeeper. But you need more than three or four players. And Jamaica, the, there's a lot missing there. Because they, they're, on, they, they're on six points. They beat if they find a way to beat the U.S., they're on nine points, and they're in the conversation. So there's still something to play for for Jamaica, but they're going to be the underdogs against the U.S. To be clear, and Jamaica is an interesting place to play. Um, obviously, they have a you know they with the attendance, the crowd's not going to be what it normally is in Jamaica. And I wouldn't say Jamaica has ever really been like an intimidating place. It's a lively place. I've been to multiple games there, multiple World Cup qualifiers there. I was there in 04, and I was there in, I want to say, 13, 2013. 
and uh, great atmosphere, party atmosphere, lively, a lot of energy, but not that kind of intimidating energy. Not that kind of energy that, you know, squeezes the, you know, gets to teams. No, it's the kind of energy that, yes, it, it lifts Jamaica, but it's not an intimidating place to play. And now, much less with, you know, not as many fans and the restrictions that they have in Jamaica because of COVID, it's going to be, it's not going to be the same. Jamaica's going to have a hard time with the U.S. And I don't think the U.S. is taking this one for granted. I know there's still going to be some people that say, mm, I don't know. The U.S. hasn't looked good on the road. They look terrible against El Salvador. They definitely looked awful against Panama. Why should we expect them to, you know, go to Jamaica and actually have a good game? Well, I'll tell you what, the confidence from Friday doesn't hurt. And I just think there's more of a body of work there now to work with. And maybe, just maybe, we should look at that Panama game a little differently. The one that the, the, the U.S. lost in Panama. Obviously, Greg Berhalter had to do some squad rotation. He wasn't going to play the same players for three straight qualifiers. And he, you know, he turned to some he turned to some different players. He turned to some MLS players, and they got beat by a Panama team that is turning out to be much better than we thought. So let's give Panama some credit. The U.S. played badly, no question. There were several terrible performances, no doubt about it. But let's give Panama some credit for that one. It gets to be a little too easy to just you know to be like, ah, oh, we were we were awful. Never mind them, we were awful. No, well, yeah, you were bad, but Panama's not bad. Panama's pretty good, especially at home. So Tuesday's matches are going to be, you know, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun, fun Tuesday. And if you haven't already, make sure, make sure you subscribe to Paramount Plus. Because first of all, that's where you can see U.S. Jamaica. Number one, you get the great analysis of the all-star team we have there. Uh, Clint Dempsey, Moa Du, Aguchi Onyewu, Charlie Davies. The Fab Four. Great guys, and, they, and they've done a great job with the coverage. But not only do you get to see that in English, and I get it. You can watch it in Spanish if you want and not have to pay a subscription. But you don't get the analysis, and you get all the other octagonal games. So, you know what? Get some split-screen action going. You can follow all the matches. And you're going to want to watch Canada-Mexico. So, hopefully you tune in. Hopefully you're already subscribed. I know I'm pitching all these subscriptions now, but that's life. That's the new world we're in. And it used to be a lot worse, all right? Because, you you know, there was the time when uh, qualifying was uh, available in pay-per-view. That was terrible. Now you sign up for Paramount Plus, you're getting CONCACAF qualifiers, Champions League, Serie A. You're getting more and more women's soccer now. I mean, you name it. I mean, it's, you know, I'm on the team, so I, I'm obviously a little biased. But it's, you know, if you're a soccer fan, it's, you kind of have to, you kind of have to get it. But, Tuesday's going to be fun. We've got a, you know, there's some really good programming on the way. Um, it's going to be a long Tuesday, I'll tell you that. And it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. So we'll see if the U.S. can build on their win. We'll see if Canada can build on their win. And maybe we'll see Mexico slip from the top two in CONCACAF. Who would have thought that? Who would have saw that coming? Not many people. But I think that's it. That's wrapping it up for this episode of SBI Show. We didn't cover a lot of things. I know. I just definitely wanted to do the post-game wrap on this U.S.-Mexico game. And, and it is a little sad that this is going to be the last U.S.-Mexico qualifier in the U.S. for a long time. Seven and a half years, eight years. And even then, there's no, there's no guarantee it's going to matter as much. Because the World Cup's going to expand. More teams qualify from CONCACAF. And the U.S. and Mexico aren't necessarily going to have to be at each other's throat to qualify. So... 
Friday was the last, probably the last chance we're going to see that kind of match in that kind of setting. I know they meet in Azteca in March, but who knows? Who knows if that match is even going to matter? I mean, knock on wood, hopefully. Hopefully the U.S. is qualified by then. But the consolation, if they're not, is that that match is going to mean something. And maybe the U.S. can go down to Mexico and do what no team has ever done, win a competitive official match in Mexico. No U.S. team has ever done that. The U.S. has won there in a friendly, but they've never won a qualifier in Mexico City. And that seems like another pretty good feather in the cap for this group, this golden generation, and for Greg Berhalter, the coach who some folks are still on the fence about, but hopefully more and more are starting to see as a pretty good pick, as a pretty good guy to run this thing. Because I think he's done a pretty good job right now. You got For me, I think you got to give him credit. This isn't, you know, <laughs> this isn't a blind, this, this isn't someone blindfolded throwing darts at a board. As much as, I, as much as I'm sure some folks would want to wanna have you believe that. But that's it. That wraps up this episode of the SBI, SBI show. I will have a preview episode on Monday to preview in detail U.S. Jamaica. We'll get into projected lineups. We'll get into who we expect to see step in for Zimmerman. Not Zimmerman, sorry. Who see who steps in for Miles Robinson, who steps in for Weston McKinney, what other lineup changes there may be, and how they're going to deal with Jamaica, who will be. A bit of a threat, especially with Mikel Antonio, because he's a handful. And now you won't have your best one-on-one defender. So it's going to be a challenge. But that's it. Thank you definitely for listening, for the time. Make sure you're reading SBISoccer.com. I, I'd like to, look, I'm biased, but I think our pre, pre-game coverage or our coverage leading up to U.S. Mexico was pretty damn good. Pretty damn extensive. I don't know many sites that had anywhere close to what we had in terms of coverage. And we're going to try to keep that rolling. So definitely check it out. And if you haven't subscribed, think about subscribing. Hopefully you subscribe. But that's it for this episode. Definitely thank you for listening and stay tuned on Monday. I'm Ivan Skolarsa. This is the SBI Show. <laughs>